Volume Two, Chapter Four of *The Vicar of Rexhill*. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. *The Vicar of Rexhill* by Francis Milton Trollope. Volume Two, Chapter Four. Mister Stephen Corbold. We must now follow Mrs. Mowbray and Helen to London, as some of the circumstances which occurred there proved of importance to them afterwards. The journey was a very melancholy one to Helen, and her feelings as unlike as possible to those which usually accompany a young lady of her age, appearance, and station upon a visit to the metropolis. Mrs. Mowbray spoke very little, being greatly occupied by the volume recommended to her notice at parting by Mr. Cartwright, and more than once Helen felt something like envy at the situation of the two servants, who perched aloft behind the carriage, were enjoying without restraint the rapid movement, the fresh air, and the beautiful country through which they passed while she, like a drooping flower, on which the sun has ceased to shine, hung her fair hand and languished for the kindly warmth she had lost. They reached Wimpole Street about eight o'clock in the evening, and found everything prepared for them, with the most sedulous attention, in their handsome and commodious apartments. Mrs. Mowbray was tired, and being really in need of the refreshment, blessed the hand, or rather the thought, which had forestalled all her wants and wishes, and spread that dearest of travelling banquets, tea and coffee, ready to greet her as she entered the drawing-room. "'This letter has been left for you, ma'am, by the gentleman who took the apartment,' said the landlady, taking a packet from the chimney-piece, "'and he desired it might be given to you immediately.' Mrs. Mowbray opened it, but perceiving it enclosed another, the address of which she glanced her eyes upon, she folded it up again, and begged to be shown to her room while the tea was made. Her maid followed her, but was dismissed with orders to see if Miss Mowbray wanted anything. As soon as she was alone, she prepared to examine the packet, the receipt of which certainly startled her, for it was in the handwriting of Mr. Cartwright, from whom she had parted but a few hours before. The envelope contained only these words. "'Mr. Stephen Corbell presents his respectful compliments to Mrs. Mowbray, and will do himself the honour of waiting upon her to-morrow morning at eleven o'clock. Gray's Inn, July 13th. 1833. Mrs. Mowbray ran her eyes very rapidly over these words, and then opened the enclosed letter. It was as follows. Do not let the unexpected sight of a letter from your minister alarm you, my dear and much-valued friend. I have nothing painful to disclose, and my sole object in writing is to make you feel that, though you are distant from the sheltered spot wherein the Lord hath caused you to dwell, the shepherd's eye which hath been appointed to watch over you is not withdrawn. I am no longer a young man, my dear Mrs. Mowbray, and during the years through which I have passed, my profession, my duty, and my inclination have alike led me to examine my fellow-creatures, and to read them, as it were, athwart the veil of their mortal bodies. Habit and application have given me, I believe, some skill in developing the inward character of those among whom I am thrown, nor can I doubt that the hand of heaven is in this, as in truth it is in all things if we do but diligently set ourselves to trace it i cannot i say but believe that this faculty which i feel so strong within me of discerning in whom these spirits abide that the lord hath chosen for his own i cannot but believe that this faculty is given me by his especial will and for his especial glory i wish well sincerely well to the whole human race i would never lose an opportunity of lifting my voice in warning to them in the hope that peradventure there may be one among the crowd who may turn and follow me, but, my friend, far different is the feeling with which my heart clings with steadfast care and love to those on whom I see the anointing finger of heaven. It is such that I would lead, even as a pilot leadeth the vessel entrusted to his skill. 
into the peaceful waters where glory and honour and joy unspeakable and without end shall abide with them for ever repine not o oh my friend if all your race are not of these rather rejoice with exceeding great joy that it hath pleased heaven to set its seal on too to this effect look round the world my gentle friend and see what myriads of roofs arise beneath which not one can be found to show forth the saving power mark them how they thread the giddy maze and dance onward down the slippery path that leads to everlasting perdition mark this sweet spirit and rejoice that you and your fanny are snatched from the burning my soul revels in an ecstasy of rapture unspeakable as i gaze upon you both and know that it is i even i am chosen to lead you what are all the victories and glories of the world to this think you my gentle friend that if all the worldly state and station of lambeth were offered to me on one side and the task of leading thy meek steps into the way of life called me to the other that i should hesitate for one single instant which to choose oh no trust me i would meet the scorn and revilings of all men ay and the bitterest persecutions that ever the saints of old were called upon to bear rather than turn mine eyes from thee and the dear work though princedoms principalities and powers might be gained thereby be strong then in faith be strong in hope for thou art well loved of heaven and of him whom it hath been its will to place near thee as its minister on earth be strong in faith kneel down sweet friend even now as thine eye reads these characters traced by the hand of one who would give his life to guard thee from harm kneel down and ask that heaven may be with thee well assured that he who bids thee to do so will at the same moment be kneeling likewise to invoke blessings on thy fair and virtuous head at a moment when the heart is drawn heavenward as mine is now how hateful i may say how profane seem these worldly appellations and distinctions with which the silly vanity of man has sought to decorate our individual nothingness how much more befitting a serious christian it is in such a moment as this to use that name which was bestowed by a higher authority you have three such my sweet friend the two first are now appropriated as it were to your daughters but the third is more especially your own clara on clara may the dew of heaven descend like a healing balm kneel then sweet clara thou chosen handmaid kneel down and think that william cartwright kneels beside thee written on my knees in the secret recesses of my own chamber w c no sooner did mrs mowbray's eyes reach the words kneel down than she obeyed them and in this attitude read to the end of the epistle mrs mowbray's feelings whenever strongly excited either by joy sorrow or any other emotion always showed themselves in tears and now she wept profusely vehemently though it is probable she would have been greatly puzzled to explain why even to herself she would certainly however have declared had she spoken on the subject to any one that those tears were a joy a blessing and a comfort to her but as she had nobody to whom she could thus open her heart she washed her eyes with cold water and descended with all the composure she could assume to helen and the tea-table notwithstanding this precaution helen's watchful eye perceived that her mother had been weeping and forgetting the unnatural coldness which a breath more fatal than pestilence had placed between them she exclaimed with all her wonted tenderness what is the matter dear mamma i trust that no bad news has met you if all other circumstances left it a matter of doubt whether evangelical influence as it is impiously called were productive of good or evil the terrible power which it is so constantly seen to have of destroying family union must be quite sufficient to settle the question 
any person who will take the trouble to inquire into the fact will find that family affection has been more blighted and destroyed by the workings of this fearful superstition than by any other cause of which the history of man bears record the tone of helen's voice seemed for a moment to recall former feelings and her mother looked at her kindly but before she could give utterance to any word of affection the recollection of all mr cartwright had said to prove that helen deserved not the affection of her mother and that the only chance left to save herself was to be found in the most austere estrangement till such time as her hard heart should be softened the recollection of all this came across the terrified mind of mrs mowbray and she resumed the solemn and distant bearing she had of late assumed with a nervous sensation of alarm at the great crime she had been on the point of committing poor helen saw the look and listened with her whole soul in her eyes for the kind words which had so nearly followed it but when they came not her heart sank within her and pleading fatigue she begged to be shown to her own room where she spent half the night in weeping most punctually at eleven o'clock on the following morning mr stephen corbold was announced and a stiff priggish-looking figure entered the drawing-room who though in truth a special attorney looked much more like a thoroughbred methodistical preacher than his friend and cousin mr cartwright in age he was a few years that gentleman's junior but in all outward gifts most lamentably his inferior being in truth as ill-looking and ungentlemanlike a person as any congregation attached to the philo calvin frybabe principles could furnish the footman might have announced him in the same words as lapine did vadius madame un homme est là qui veut parler à vous il est vêtu de noir et parle d'un trondu for excepting his little tight cravat he appeared to have nothing white about him and he seldom raised his cautious voice above a whisper i am here madam he began addressing himself to mrs mowbray who felt rather at a loss what to say to him at the request of my cousin the reverend william jacob cartwright vicar of rexhill he hath given me to understand that you have business to transact at doctor's commons relative to the last will and testament of your late husband am i correct madam quite so mr corbold i wish to dispatch this business as quickly as possible as i am anxious to return again to my family no delay shall intervene that i can prevent replied the attorney is there any other business madam in which my services can be available you are very kind sir i believe there are several things on which i shall have to trouble you mr mowbray generally transacted his own business which in london consisted i believe solely in receiving dividends and paying tradesmen's bills the only lawyer he employed therefore was a gentleman who resides in our county and who has hitherto had the care of the estates but my excellent minister and friend mr cartwright has written upon this sheet of paper i believe what it will be necessary for me to do in order to arrange things for the future mrs mowbray put the paper into the lawyer's hands who read it over with great attention nodding his head slightly from time to time as any item struck him as particularly interesting and important three per cents very good bank stock very good power of attorney all right madam all right it hath pleased the lord to give my cousin his servant a clear and comprehending intellect all shall be done even at it is here set down how long sir do you think it will be necessary for me to remain in town why madam there are many men would run this business out to great length here is indeed sufficient to occupy a very active professional man many weeks but by the blessing of heaven which is often providentially granted to me in time of need i question not but i may be able to release you in a few days madam provided always that you are prepared to meet such expenses as are indispensable upon all occasions when great haste is required expense will be no object to me mr corbold but a prolonged absence from home would be extremely inconvenient 
pray remember that i shall be most happy to pay any additional sum which hastening through the business may require very good madam very good that heaven will be good unto me in this business i cannot presume to doubt for it hath been consigned unto me by one of its saints on earth and it is for the service of a lady who i am assured by him is likely to become one of the most favoured agents it hath ever selected to do its work on earth mrs mowbray coloured from a mixed feeling of modesty and pleasure that mr cartwright should have thus described her was most soothing to her heart but when she recollected how far advanced he was and how very near the threshold she as yet stood her diffidence made her shrink from hearing herself named in language so flattering is that fair young person who left the room soon after i entered it your daughter madam yes sir very good i rejoice to hear that is i would be understood to say that i rejoice with an exceeding great joy that the child of a lady who stands in such estimation as you do with the chosen minister of the elected church should wear an aspect so suitable to one who by a special providence will be led to follow her example mrs mowbray sighed i lament madam resumed mr corbold i may say with great and bitter lamentation both for your sake and for that of the young person who has left the room that the london season should be so completely over sir said mrs mowbray in an accent of almost indignant surprise is it possible that any friend and relation of mr cartwright's can imagine that i in my unhappy situation or indeed without that as a christian woman hoping with fear and trembling to become one of those set apart from worldly things is it possible sir that you can think i should partake or let my daughter partake in the corrupt sinfulness and profane rioting of a london season may heaven forgive you for so unjust a suspicion most respected madam cried mr corbold clasping his hands and raising his eyes to heaven the language of the saints on earth is yet new to you most excellent and highly to be respected convert to my cousin the london season of which i speak and which you will hear alluded to by such sinful creatures as like me have reason to believe by an especial manifestation of grace that they are set apart the london season of which i and they speak is that when during about six blessed weeks in the spring the chosen vessels resort in countless numbers to london for the purpose of being present at all the meetings which take place during that time with as much ardour and holy zeal as the worldly-minded show in arranging their fetes and their fooleries at the instigation of satan in anticipation as it should seem poor deluded creatures of the crowds that they shall hereafter meet amidst fire and brimstone in his realms below the season of which i speak and of which you will hear all the elect speak with rapture and thanksgiving consists of a quick succession of splendid and soul-stirring meetings at which all the saints on whom the gift of speech hath descended some for one some for two some for three some for four ay some for four hours at a time sustained as you might suppose by a visible resting of the divine power upon them this madam is the season that for your sake and for the sake of the fair young person your daughter i wish was not yet over mrs mowbray made a very penitent and full apology for the blunder she had committed and very meekly confessed her ignorance declaring that she had never before heard the epithet of london season given to anything so heavenly-minded and sublime as the meetings he described the discovery of this species of ignorance on the part of mrs mowbray which was by no means confined to the instance above mentioned was a very favourable circumstance for mr corbold there was perhaps no other subject in the world upon which he was competent to give information except in the technicalities of his own profession but in everything relating to missionary meetings branch missionary meetings reports child missionary branch committees london lord's day societies and the like he was quite perfect all this gave him a value in mrs mowbray's eyes as a companion which he might have wanted without it 
at all conversations of this kind mrs mowbray took great care that helen should be present persuaded that nothing could be so likely to give her that savour of righteousness in which as yet she was so greatly deficient the consequence of this arrangement was twofold on helen's side it generated a feeling compounded of contempt and loathing towards the fanatical attorney which in most others would have led to the passion called hatred but in her seemed rather a passive than an active sentiment which would never have sought either nourishment or relief in doing injury to its object but which rendered her so ill at ease in his presence that her life became perfectly wretched from the frequency of it on the part of the gentleman the effect of these frequent interviews was different from thinking mrs mowbray's daughter a very fair young person he grew by gradual but pretty rapid degrees to perceive that she was the very loveliest tabernacle in which had ever been enshrined the spirit of a woman and by the time mrs mowbray had learned by rote the names titles connections separations unions deputations and endowments of all the missionary societies root and branch and of all the central and eccentric establishments for the instruction of ignorance in infants of four months to adults of fourscore mr stephen corbold had made up his mind to believe that by fair means or foul it was his bounden duty as a pious man and serious christian to appropriate the fair helen to himself in this life and thereby ensure her everlasting happiness in the life to come it must not be supposed that while these things passed in london the vicar of rexhill was forgotten mrs mowbray's heart and conscience both told her that such a letter as she had received from him must not remain unanswered and she therefore placed helen in the drawing-room with a small but very closely printed volume on free grace recommended by mr corbold and having desired her in the voice of command to study it attentively till dinner-time she retired to her own room where having knelt wept prayed written and erased for about three hours she finally signed and sealed an epistle of which it is unnecessary to say more than that it conveyed a very animated feeling of satisfaction to the heart of the holy man to whom it was addressed End of chapter four